I'm sitting in a car that I'm sure you have never seen before. This is the McLaren MP412C, and this is AutoLine. We've got a very interesting show today, kind of a two-parter. As you saw in the open a moment ago, we'll start out talking about the McLaren MP412C. Specifically, I'll be talking with Tony Joseph, the regional director for North America for McLaren. As you may know, McLaren is one of the most famous race teams in Formula One, which is the premier racing series in the world. It's very interesting to see a race team move into the exotic sports car market. It may be new to the segment, but McLaren definitely has the heritage and technology to take on the likes of Ferrari. Not only will we be talking about McLaren's plans for selling this car in the U.S. and in other markets around the world, we'll also show you more of what the car itself is all about, and it is really impressive. After that, I'll sit down with Jeremy Anwood, the CEO of Edmunds.com. You know, about a decade ago, there were all sorts of websites that came out to provide car shoppers with information and pricing about cars. A lot of them have fallen by the wayside, but Edmunds not only survived, it absolutely dominates that space. You'll be interested to learn what Edmunds is doing and what Jeremy Anwell sees happening in the market right now. So don't touch that remote. We will return momentarily right after this. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Joining me right now in the studio is Tony Joseph, the Regional Director of North America for McLaren Automotive, Inc., and it's great to have you here in the studio. Thank you. Tell us, for those who don't know at all, what is McLaren? Well, McLaren's a company that's been around for a long time. Uh, we have over 40 years. Over 40 years, uh, since 1963. We have the, um, we're the most successful race team in history. We've won. Um, Ferrari might debate that. Nah, if, we, if, we look at, if we look at the numbers, we've got more uh, Constructor Cup wins and uh, podium finishes. Uh, so we have, um, I believe it's uh, one in, we've won one in four Grand Prix and one in three uh, podium finishes. That's a, an amazing statistic. In 40 years, yeah. The company started by Bruce McLaren, a Bruce. Kiwi who started his own company, and you know he passed away long ago, but the company's going strong. Correct. And Ron Dennis came in in 1981. Um, and he merged his company, uh, Project 4, with McLaren, and hence the name for our new car, um, MP412C. We, um, we're a company that's been around, um, uh, we're, I mean, we're a technology company, but we've had a lot of success in Formula One, and now we're branching out to um, uh, start a car company of our own. We do have some experience building road cars in the past with the McLaren F1 road car, which uh, was Which built is a million-dollar car. Which recently uh, just sold at auction. 1995 F1 car sold at auction for $3.25 million. Oh, my gosh. So, so it it's gone up in value. Yeah. <laughs> if you do it right, you can do that. Exactly. So, and for a long time, it held the, um, it was the fastest production car, uh, I think, for about 10 years. So uh, we had experience building car with the Formula One. And then uh, we did a joint venture with Mercedes on the SLR project, which we uh, built for them as well. And so, very interesting, you know, we see a lot of sports car companies get into racing. Yeah. This is a racing company getting into making sports cars now. 
And if you look at it, it's, a, it's an idea um, fit and an idea opportunity for us because we have all that technology already. We, we know how to build cars. We know how to build fast cars. Um, and we've had a lot of success with it. So we're taking that technology and we're branching out to um, doing what we know best. And uh, the significance of this car in, in our car company is the, uh, the carbon fiber chassis. And that's something that is at the heart and soul of McLaren. So tell us a little bit more about this MP412C. Uh, I think I got the name right there. Carbon fiber tub. Now, uh, add on the bits that go on there. Tell us about well, that. Well, the, um, the, the, the car is essentially built around the carbon fiber chassis. And uh, uh, what the carbon fiber chassis does is it's, uh, it's a much stronger material. It's a lighter material, and it's uh, more rigid. So essentially, it's, it's better. Um, Space-age technology, essentially. It, exactly. And there hasn't been a car company that's been able to build a car in the set price segment we're going to launch this car in with the um, carbon fiber chassis. And price segment is what? Um, for this car, we're looking to launch somewhere in the 225 to 250 price range, and that'll be announced uh, later this year. Um, so the car is a 3.8 liter, eight cylinder, 592 horsepower, but with 2,866 pounds. So. Um, 2,800 pounds in a sports car these days is actually lightweight. It's very lightweight, very lightweight. And, and that kind of horsepower, you've got a tremendous power to weight ratio. Correct. And, um, and so we're very excited about it. Uh, we're showing the car, we're going to show it to you here shortly, but this is essentially the fourth time we've shown it in North America, and we're taking it around uh, North America right now, and we're showing it at the various markets that we're going to have dealers. So tell us a little bit about that. How are you setting up a, a dealer network? How many do you plan to have? We've, um, we, we've actually been around now in North America for just over a year. We've got a team of six people that work for uh, McLaren Automotive Inc. in North America. We're based in Midtown Manhattan. We have taken the last year, and we've spent we've gone through a lot of time and effort in in helping to ensure that we're picking the right dealers to represent us. Uh, we're going to launch with nine dealers in the U.S. and one in Canada. And uh, have you signed them up already? We've essentially signed up um, eight of the ten launch dealers, and we've got dealers right now in Greenwich, Connecticut, in Tampa, Florida, in Miami, Florida, in Dallas, Texas. Uh, San Francisco, Beverly Hills, uh, Chicago, Toronto, and um, we're going to be announcing dealers in Newport Beach and Philadelphia soon. How many do you, of these cars do you plan to sell? Uh, next year, we're planning on producing uh, 1,000 worldwide with launching in Europe first and then um, bringing the car here to North America probably in July of August of next year. And, and with 30, 35% of those coming here to this market. Okay, so 300, 300 plus coming here. That's first year. Take us down the road a bit. Are you going to grow your dealer base? Where do you think sales are going to go? We have a long-term plan of, um, to expand our model lineup. And essentially, we're looking to uh, launch a new car, a new variant uh, every year, at least to mid-decade. And uh, by 2014, 2015, we're looking at roughly 4,500 cars worldwide with 30% of those coming here in North America. And uh, so... I mean, if, if you get to 4,500 cars a year, that, that's almost the size of Ferrari a decade ago. It's, um, it, it's about two-thirds the size of, um, of where they're at. And um, so what, what makes you guys so confident you can go and claw out that kind of sales when it, uh, the, 
the exotic sports car market is is well represented by many manufacturers these days. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, the cars that are out there right now are absolutely fantastic. And if we were going to come out with a car that was as good as to compete in that segment, uh, we, we would never be successful. So we're coming out with a car that we feel is um, cutting edge technology. We feel that we have something unique, something different um, from a car standpoint. We feel it's going to outperform everything in the segment. Um, we feel it's a car that is essentially an and car. It's a car that can go out on the track and it will compete with the competitors in the segment. But it's also a car that you could get in and you could drive from here to Battle Creek or Kalamazoo and you can have a very comfortable ride. Um, so we feel that we do have something different to offer and um, I think you'll be impressed when we show it to you here shortly. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit more about the car, too, because McLaren doesn't buy anything, right? You don't use suppliers. You do everything pretty much in-house. Yeah, this is a, this is a, um, um, quite a unique experience because we are essentially starting a car company for, from scratch. I mean, McLaren has been around for a long time, and, um, and they are a technology company. But on the automotive side, we have decided to start our car company, a production road car company. And... Uh, we are doing everything, um, every nut, every bolt, every part of the, the car. The engine's all McLaren. It, the transmission's the, all McLaren. The engine's been the completely designed by McLaren. It's uh, being built by Ricardo, but it's uh, been completely designed by McLaren. Okay. And so uh, we have uh, built every aspect of this car from essentially a clean sheet of paper. And so uh, and that's how we've actually built the company as well. So it's, uh, it's very exciting. Well, look, uh, you've been talking to me about showing me the car. Come on, you got to come show it to me. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. stay right where you are. We're going to show you what this MP412C is all about. So this is great. Your people pulled the thing right off the transporter here. Tony, this is a beautiful-looking car. Tell me about... Who designed this thing, or at least who styled it the way it looks? Our, our chief designer is Frank Stephenson, which you may know the name. Well, Frank spent time at what? Alfa Romeo, Ferrari. I think he even did the Fiat 500. Maserati as well, yes. And Mini, BMW Mini, the new Mini. So this is, like I said, a, a beautiful car. And tell me, what's this little thing down here on front? It looks like a camera. That, that's an interesting option. That is a, uh, is a camera that we have as an option. Uh, it's a three-camera system that if you did decide to do track use on the car, um, you could, it, it will film your track um, drive, and then you can download it to your computer inside, uh, download it to USB drive, and then when you get home at night, you can watch how you did on the track. And really figure out how to go even faster. <laughs> yes. Come on around the side here. I, I notice you've got a beautiful, clean look. Well, how, how do you open the doors on this? What's the trick here? Well, let me show you. This is pretty amazing as well. There's no door handles on this car, and the reason why there's no door handles is because it adds weight. Uh, McLaren's obsessed with weight, and as I was saying earlier, the car is 2,866 pounds, so the lightest in, lightest in this class. Uh, there's no door handle, and it's one hinge, and uh, he drew doors. And um, step inside. Yeah, let, let me see what this is like in here. So, so, yeah. Oh, ahead. no, I was going to say, the car is um, much smaller on the outside, but larger on the inside. And as you can tell by the headroom that you have, we've had people sit inside the car that were 6'4", 250 pounds, and they were easily able to get inside. I, I could wear a top hat in here, practically, and I, I love the feel. Very light, very nimble, but big, thick sections in the rockers. I feel very safe in this car. Yeah, it was actually built around the driver, so um, everybody, everything should be very driver-friendly. And if you look at the steering wheel and the um, paddle shifters, everything's built around the driver first. 
And if you look at the uh, navigation system, it's all done in portrait. Because if you look at your cell phones or anything else, everything's done in portrait. So versus landscape, it's done in portrait. So you have a much larger screen of the road. And what I like is I don't recognize any of these bits or pieces in here. They're all bespoke by McLaren. Everything's been designed by McLaren, correct. Every, every bolt, every screw, every, every knob, all McLaren. Let, let's pop uh, the engine cover because I want to see what's under, under here. And so 3.8 liter V8, right? 3.8 liter V8, 592 horsepower, twin turbo, uh, and this is an option as well, carbon fiber covering for the engine. And that's what's amazing about this car. Everywhere you look, it's carbon fiber. And what's this? Th this looks like the exhaust on the back of the car. It is exhaust. And the reason why the exhaust shoots out is a, a couple different reasons. But one is it saves that much exhaust pipe, which essentially saves weight. Amazing. They've gone all out for this. Well, Tony, thanks so much for bringing the MP412C around to AutoLine here. We love seeing cars like this. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Joining me in the studio right now is Jeremy Anwell, the CEO of Edmunds, or should I call it Edmunds.com? Edmunds.com is best, thanks. Okay, <laughs> but great having you here on the set of AutoLine Detroit. Yeah, good being here. Jeremy, we've seen the auto market slow down. Everybody thought that maybe we'd be pushing 12.5 million units this year. Doesn't look like that's going to happen. What do you see happening in the market right now? Well, September is a pivotal month because we came off of August, which was a disappointment. August is usually one of the best months of the year. And September would really suggest, are we going to see an uptick for the last six, uh, six months? And the answer doesn't seem to be very good. Uh, Labor Day weekend was strong. Sales really plummeted after that. And I think the, the pattern that we're seeing established all year is that when, when cars are on sale, there's a lot of buyers who've been waiting for the deals, and they come out and they take advantage. So we saw that over Labor Day weekend. When the cars are not on sale, there's no reason to buy. And in this kind of marketplace, people want to be pragmatic. They just wait. So we see these real swings. And if you think about September, October, November, there's not a lot of really great uh, buying periods left this year. Maybe Thanksgiving weekend, maybe the week between Christmas and New Year's. But it seems like, if anything, we're going to see the, uh, the sales rate, the SAR number that everybody talks about, actually kind of drift down between now and the end of the year, probably ending up in the low 11s, maybe 11.3. Ooh, ooh, that's well under what everybody had thought. You know, they were saying 11.5 yeah. million to 12. You're saying even under Well, everybody that. keeps revising. I think our original forecast was 11.5 for the year, and we've actually revised it down to about 11.3. About so you were conservative and now we're backing off that. And we were not conservative enough. <laughs> so Going but, forward, what yeah. about the next couple of years? Some people have said that maybe by 2013, 2014, this market could be back to 14 or 15 million units. What's your outlook? I think that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm but not you don't so see sure. it happening, huh? Well, you know, the argument is pent-up demand. I mean, that's the only reason that people can look at what's happening and say that things are going to get a whole lot better. Uh, and I could make a reverse argument, and that is that the sales levels that we saw at, say, 16 million plus for nine years were sustained by non-recurring events. Uh, interest rates have been declining over the last 20 years. Down payments were, you know, basically evaporated. You could get into a car with no money down. There's just a lot of things that aren't going to be repeated anytime soon. And I think that's going to create, you know, a drag on the market's ability uh, to, to recover. And then you think about consumers deleveraging, and they've really just started. There's a long way to go. There's a lot e leveraging of, meaning paying off all their debt. You want to pay off your credit cards. You want to pay down your mortgage. You're just, you're just, you know, you got a 401k that's that's gone. So you're feeling under a lot of financial distress, and that means that people kind of hunker down. They do like to indulge and they do like to buy small luxuries, but they're not buying cars. I'm talking about going to the movies. You know, it's there's there are ways that people like to spend their money, but. 
Uh, we've got a lot of risk, not to get to political, but you know, we don't know kind of what's coming out of Washington, so that creates a feeling of, of tension. I think businesses are feeling un, un, uncertain and they're unwilling to invest. So all of this is a drag on, on any kind of economic recovery. Stimulus dollars next year are kind of drying up. So this, none of these are good. And the only positive thing out there is all oh, this is all this pent up demand that's, that's building up. And by that, people are saying that basically there's more cars being scrapped every year than there are being purchased. But frankly, there's a lot of cars, a lot of multiple car households, and these are, these are households where they could have gotten rid of an extra car, they don't need to replace it. So it's not, it's not clear to me that that pent up demand is gonna be the... Is really there. In yeah. the United States, as I'm sure you know, we have more cars than yeah. we have licensed drivers. So we have we an could, excess of automobiles. Have, we could have a few less. So we're forecasting about 12.2 for next year. Well, that's a big jump up from, that's about a million more than well, we were thinking this year. Yeah, that was a month ago we did that forecast. Okay. So, and when I say forecast, I'm applying, I'm implying a level of, um, precision that perhaps is not warranted. So I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, right now it's a bit of a guesstimate. Let's talk to, about something more exciting. We're <laughs> about to see this market hit by a wave of electric vehicles. Yeah. Some people like Carlos Ghosn, the head of Nissan Renault, is saying that by the end of the decade, 20% of all new cars sold will be electric vehicles. What's your outlook for that market? I think, uh, I mean, I, I think it's good to see these EVs hitting the marketplace. Uh, I think the technology in terms of how it's advanced in the last five years, battery technology has probably advanced more than it has in the pre previous 50. I think there's a lot of synergies to other industries because lots of places you can use you know, high-tech batteries. EVs, though, to me, are still going to be a niche play. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, in terms of the subsidies that are out there, because depending on the very, what state you live in, not only can you get a, a federal tax credit, but there's also state subsidies that can really bring the price of these vehicles down. But that's not exactly it. States, I should hasten to add, that are flat broke yeah, right there's now. No, there's no money for any of this stuff, but it doesn't seem to <laughs> slow people down. There's a, it's a new, you know, I guess there's a new discipline now in spending money that you don't have. You know, governments can get away with it, people not so much. So they're, they're really interesting technology. The big question with EVs is about range and changing people's behavior, and is that a concern for them? That's where the Chevy Volt, I think, has got really an interesting story because it gives you an EV, but you don't have to worry about range. These are the sort of the second uh, or third generation. You know, we've got hybrids that have done reasonably well. Right now they're kind of... Do you of, think? Well, 2 percent of the market? That's well, that's reasonably, reasonably well, well compared for to... For one the, car. For the Prius, it's a great Yeah, and great think, about, case. think about how they were doing with the, with the previous uh, generation before that. So they've been sort of creeping up there. But it's still a niche play. Now we've got the plug-in Prius, which is coming. We've got the Chevy Volt. We've got the Nissan Leaf. And these are all, you know, pretty interesting vehicles. They're good cars. Yeah. I've driven them. Are they going to be selling in the hundreds of thousands a year? No. But they are sort of steps along a road, and there'll be new ones coming after that that will be even better. Still think, though, for the next five, six years, I'd still think about them as kind of a niche play. And the niche is going to grow, but it's not going to transform. You know, most people are still going to be driving around in internal combustion vehicle uh, engines, uh, and we're going to be getting get better mileage out of traditional technologies. Um, Speaking of better mileage out of technologies, the EPA is talking about coming out with a new kind of sticker where they'll give cars a letter grade. Yeah. If you're really good, you get an A. If you're really bad, even if you fail, you only get a D. D I don't right. think you can get an F. What's a kinder, what? gentler EPA? <laughs> Nobody fails. What do you make of these stickers? Well, we actually ran a survey. Uh, because there's a lot of information that the EPA is going to be uh, publishing along with these, these surveys. And you, you know the EPA mileage ratings are sort of ubiquitous. Everybody talks about these things. And so we, we ran a survey of actual car buyers to see which survey, which uh, sticker they, they preferred. And they were uh, vehemently against the single letter grade 
sticker. They thought it sort of dumbed down. The information's kind of in there, but it's really buried. Uh, sticker number two, which is what it's called, the one that doesn't feature the single letter grade, has a much cleaner description of all the data. Like what? I mean, you know, consumers can easily get confused by data. Sure. It's just a bunch well, you, of numbers. Yeah, it is. But you've got mileage ratings, so that's something that we're all familiar with. You've got the uh, annual cost. You've got the emission, uh, carbon uh, uh, dioxide emissions, and it shows you how to compare it with other vehicles. What's most important, though, and I think the EPA is missing this, is that people aren't using the window stickers today like they were back in 74 when these things were cooked up, because people are getting information, dare I say it, on the internet. There's a thought. And it's the information that the EPA publishes that's most important, not the information that's on the sticker, because you're making decisions about which vehicles to buy from a shopping experience online, and then you go to the dealership to kind of validate that, or, but it's, you're pretty much decided what it is you want. So what's interesting to me, and I think this is good, is that there's more information that the EPA is gonna publish. The fact that they standardize this testing and they make it available across industry, I think is, is very good. Uh, I, I think they ought to publish it so that it's monthly cost data. I think they need to help people. You know, we talked about the Leaf versus the Prius versus the Volt. It's a very natural comparison, but because the technologies are different, it's not easy to compare. So that's where they can really step up and say, these are some standards that we're going to use across these various propulsion technologies, because uh, consumers want to be able to do those comparisons. So I, it's a kind of a, it's it's the, the new data is a positive thing. The stickers I don't really care about too much one way or the other. But I do think they need to think through a little bit more clearly how people are going to use this information online because that's really how it gets consumed. The uh, the stickers too would seem to be unfair using a letter grade that in that if you got the most fuel efficient six passenger sedan you possibly could, it would not be an A. Yeah, you, you could still be a C or a D or, yeah. And how do you think they'll resolve just what you were talking about with electric cars? Because the Volt was carrying uh, a 230 yeah. something odd uh, mile per gallon. Uh, right, right. And, uh, and the EPA went, whoa, 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 time out. We're not gonna go that way. Yeah, I think what consumers really wanna look at is what's this vehicle gonna cost me for fuel, if I can use that broad category on a monthly basis, electricity, gasoline, diesel, propane, whatever it is. And it's fairly simple to come up with a, a set amount of mileage on a monthly basis and to determine a monthly cost. You have to make some assumptions, and that's where I think the EPA is the, is the one group that could come in and make these assumptions, and then apply them across the board to the vehicle so that you could, and we've done this, so if you, it's not, it can't be that hard. If we figured out how to do it, the EPA with everybody they've got working there can figure it out. And when you do that, the comparisons become much more meaningful. So the vehicle like the Volt does have a, an advantage over, say, the existing Prius, but it's nowhere near what those kind of MPGE numbers would suggest. So, and frankly, if the EPA doesn't get this right, that just means we're going to have to do it because consumers are demanding this kind of, uh, these kinds of comparative data sets. We talk about consumers. Let's talk about yeah. the different type. There's retail consumers and fleet consumers. And Detroit well, and seems... Fleet tail, too. You've got three categories in there. <laughs> What's fleet tail? Well, fleet, you know, fleet would be like government fleet, mm -hmm. rental car fleet, retail, we know what that is. Fleet tail is when a small business owner, like a plumber. Commercial. Yeah, it could be a plumber going into a dealership buying three pickup trucks that sort of counts as fleet, but it's very different than government or commercial fleet, like the really big uh, rental fleets. Detroit, the Detroit automakers, are being accused of being heavily addicted to fleet sales. Is that how you read it? Addicted implies something that's bad. They do, you know, they do rely more on fleet sales uh, than, say, I don't know, the imports. I mean, it, it, you get a little stuck with some of these categories sometimes. Chrysler being, you know, Chrysler's fleet sales in February exceeded 50%, so they get a little defensive about that. There's nothing wrong with the fleet sale. It's just, it's just a buyer. 
The issue is, did those fleet sales, uh, were, they, were those vehicles sold uh, at, a, at a number that was so far below the retail transaction price that you created two markets for the vehicle and that when that fleet vehicle comes back into the marketplace, it destabilizes the used car values. So you could have fleet sales that are good and you could have fleet sales that are bad. And the, obviously you, don't, you can't tell that just from looking at the raw numbers. Do you think that's changed in the sense that uh, Detroit used to just build cars and blow them out the door because that was their economic model and those days are gone with the restructuring it's gone through sure. now. And I got to imagine fleets far more profitable than it was in the well, past. Well, I think this is the discipline they talk about. So discipline exists in terms of managing inventory so you don't get a four month supply of cars on the ground. And that means you don't have to rely on incentives as heavily. Discipline could mean that you're going to pass on fleet sales if, uh, if, the, if the price isn't right. So discipline uh, is a good thing. <laughs> Not necessarily easy to maintain in a tough market, but there are some positive things that we've seen so far, at least this year. Just look at the earnings reports from, uh, from Ford and GM. Well, with that, we're going to have to wrap this up. Jeremy Anwell from Edmunds.com, thanks so much for coming on. It's, ta it's great talking with you. We could go on another hour, I'm sure, easily. Anytime. Real good. Thanks. I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Interesting show today. On the one hand, we have Jeremy Anwell telling us that the market is really weak out there right now. On the other hand, we have McLaren plunging into the market, bounding with optimism as to what they can do. And you know, from their own vantage points, both of them are right. That's what you gotta love about this automotive industry. It's always full of surprises and new developments. By the way, if you'd like to get even more news and insight as to what's going on in the industry, check out AutoLine Daily. It's a newscast available online Monday through Friday that you can get for free. Check it out at our website, AutolineDetroit.tv. But that brings us to the end of this show. From all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you again here next week.